Hey guys, this is Pete. Before we start the show, I just wanted to give a quick shameless plug for my debut novel entitled Frankenstein, A Life Beyond. It's the first direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic and follows Ernest Frankenstein, the sole survivor of the original book. Like mystery, adventure, romance, horror? Then this is the ebook for you. Check it out today on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and my website, EnceladusLiterary.com. That's E-N-C-E-L-A-D-U-S-Literary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Is that a threat, detective? What's a threat? You'll know it. Was that a threat? With your host, Pete. Hollywood is full of criminals whose careers are flourishing. I'm not a criminal. I was questioned. Yeah, but that's all. I was questioned. That's it. That's good for your mystique. You think it'll help me get work? And Greg. I don't know. If I thought like a homicidal maniac, then I'd know how a homicidal maniac thinks. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Like scary movies. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? It's Wednesday night. It's nine thirty. It's time to party. Absolutely. And, and with me, as always, is Garth or something. You sure bet, you Wayne. Uh, gosh, it's been so long since I've watched that movie. <laughs> well, what's the one thing that Wayne's World has doesn't have that we're going to talk about today? They don't have a fourth movie. <laughs> you could call the Love Guru a Wayne's World Part Three. Oh. But Let's not, not talk about the love guru at all. <laughs> well, we just did. Sorry. Okay. So we are talking about, in general, the fourth installment of movie series and how there is some unique similarities in the way movie series go about their their different installments. And we have a nice little list, including one that I just made you watch over the weekend on our <laughs> marathon day of watching about nine movies somehow we managed to cram in and uh, we watched scream four which was a unique anomaly in the cinema landscape of the last decade that people have seemed to quickly forgotten existed i think it was one of those movies that people were kind of when it came out that they were making it were like really you're making another scream after all this time yeah, and it got us to thinking, what other fourth movies and series were there? And then as we were thinking about it, we're going, wow, there's a lot of similarities in a lot of <laughs> fourth movies. And it boils down to this. It seems like the first movie in a major motion picture series is the best one or it gets things off the ground. The second movie usually tends to be the most critically acclaimed, successful well-crafted story broadens the scope usually get a lot more into the characters all that the third one usually goes into light comedyville 
And the fourth one in a series usually tends to go completely off the rails. From <laughs> There's the afterthought that. cash grab. Yeah, it really is. There, I, We live in a story structure world of a beginning, middle, and end. And what do you do when you have a beginning that tells the origin, a middle, which deepens and darkens, and a third end that which usually to explain it all it lightens things up and a little <laughs> bit well and then you do after mash <laughs> which are the one with jamie Farr. yeah <laughs> and then suddenly we're into fraser after cheers and it could go after mash or it could go fraser so i'm maybe. going with the ropers and i mean the examples of this uh, and we'll get deeper in but We'll talk about a few of them, but the the main list is stuff like Scream, Lethal Weapon 4, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Phantom Menace, we've already talked about. Uh, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, I don't think anyone wants to talk about. (laughs) Batman and Robin, which was the fourth of that whole 90s Tim Burton Schumacher era. Uh, it's ended the Burton Schumacher era. Yeah, and then you start getting into some more random things, and we got some other ones down on the list. But ultimately, it really boils down to that: you got a three-act structure, but you're trying to do a fourth act. And can it be done successfully? Well, like I said, the only one that kind of jumped out to me for just off the top of my head was again going back to the Star Trek series. Uh, the fourth entry with that, which most people just say, the one with the whales? Yes. Uh, it was considered, I think it might have been the highest grossing film uh, with that particular group of actors uh, at the time and might have been the record holder up until J.J.'s movie in 2009. But uh, that was considered, again, I don't know how well it's aged, but it's considered to be a very successful entry in the series. But with my limited understanding of Star Trek, wouldn't people say that uh, Star Trek's really a trilogy of number two, three, and four? Uh, yes, you could definitely make that argument, and number one would be the odd man out in that group. And uh, if you wanted to take that as a trilogy, and then uh, the fourth entry would be the uh, horribleness that is Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So you could take it that direction. Uh, While I was talking, actually, I just thought of another film series that we can kick around here, the fourth Harry Potter. Yeah, but I think Harry Potter exists in its own unique world Mm -hmm. because it's not a three-act structure. It's a seven-part saga, I guess, and that's kind of where Star Wars almost falls in line. It's really more of a elongated saga than it is a straight up fourth entry yeah but i mean harry potter you could almost glob the stories together to make a beginning middle and end you've got uh one and two as act one you've got three four and i'd say five two Three, four, and five is is kind of the middle, and then the end slides with six, seven, and eight. The movies, at least. I mean, the book is six and seven, but you, you could almost say that if you group those together, you still have a three act structure. It's just elongated out. True. So I don't know if you could really go that way. Plus, 
it's kind of got what you say you, what you were saying with Star Trek. I mean, the first two Harry Potter movies just stand alone as kiddie movies, not really knowing what they were doing yet. And it wasn't until they kicked into gear with Alfonso Cuaron and Prisoner of Azkaban that that began, you know, a nice little series of films. But yeah, know, that's, that's a unique one. But I I look at it more from, I mean, I, I take one like Nightmare on Elm Street just for a, a, it's not really a saga, but it's it's an interesting way to look at. And it's just something we can get into in another podcast. Of all those horror movies of the 80s, how did they end up making so many? There had to have been something there. And I look at it from the nightmare standpoint as the first movie, it's kind of like your Star Trek 1. They just made a one-off story thinking, well, here's what we got. And then part two of Nightmare is just, we don't know what we've got, so it doesn't mean anything. (laughs) So you really don't have a... Uh, a cohesive Nightmare on Elm Street as people would think of it now if, until part three. And it almost tells its own self-contained story, but you could theoretically say of the Nightmare series, part three, four, and five are kind of tell the same story. Mm-hmm. So if well, you, if Getting you, the formula down. and Yeah, so if you kind of did three, four, and five as an arc, then that means six is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which anybody who's ever watched all of those movies, including some podcasts we've listened to, all are in complete agreement. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare is just an absolute joke, and it's out of gas, (laughs) and Freddy is doing Wizard of Oz jokes and Looney Tunes jokes. I don't know. It's just off the rails. So you've got it there, too. But what really spurned us into thinking of this was Scream 4. Yep. So you just watched it. Tell the people what you experienced <laughs> with Scream 4. All right. Well, I'm I'm actually going to back it up a little bit to just this broader picture of me and the Scream series. This was something that I pretty much got in on the ground floor with Scream 1, got to see that with a big college audience, uh, and just really connected with that film really enjoyed the vibe of it and the fact that you know there were some general it was smart there were some genuine jumps in it and yeah just a great kind of movie going experience i didn't see two um i don't think at all until after i had actually seen three um which somehow i ended up seeing twice in the theater and it was an ending i mean i there were some elements that I thought could have been a little bit stronger, but not unwatchable by any means. And I was just kind of, I think, like a lot of people, done with the series at that point. There wasn't any reason to anticipate that they would come up with anything else, and they didn't for, what, 13 years? Yeah, the Scream 3 uh, came out very early in 2000, like February, January, and then... Scream 4 came out in early 2011. Yeah. And by the time that rolled out, I was in a different place kind of in my life and then what I was looking for with movies. Nothing that I saw promotional-wise really got me excited about it. There was just kind of a general curiosity, uh, but I wouldn't say that I was really enthusiastic I wasn't really sure who the, and not that this matters a great deal because I see plenty of movies where I'm probably not in the key demographic, but uh, I wasn't really sure who they were trying to go after with this movie. So uh, when I watched it, I kind of watched it, I don't want to say detached, but just kind of, it was a a different 
connection with this movie than there had been with the original ones that I saw. It was just a misbegotten production, I think. I mean, some of the the trivia around it is that Kevin Williamson did a draft and did a script that it's just the classic Hollywood story. He did a screenplay that turned a lot of people on and said, hey, we could do something with this. And then during the course of actually producing a movie, things get changed, things get manipulated, things, well, I want this and I want that, and different voices come in. And it apparently got so twisted up that Kevin Williamson, behind the scenes, almost tried to divorce himself from it, but he still got sole screenwriting credit. And, yeah, I mean, watching it, it is a very bipolar film because you have, on one hand... You can see the story that Kevin Williamson's trying to tell and be very, very meta with everything. I mean, completely self-aware of itself, uh, almost in a Latter-day Simpsons kind of a way. Yeah, yeah. Just... We'll, we'll, we'll pick up with that if I keep going. And you could see where he was going with that, and then you can see where the studio comes in and says, well, wait, we've got our original three characters here. So that's what people love, the original three characters. And you can see butting heads creatively of, well, no, we we can go this way, and no, we can go this way. And you can see who won out, the executives, the, the money man, whoever it was that doesn't sound like it was Kevin Williamson won out in the end and ultimately made a very mediocre movie. It is not awful. It is not great. It is 100% in the category of meh it happened (laughs) and i think that's fair it it just doesn't have a whole lot going on and it doesn't seem to be able to really fully commit to whatever it wants to do it's almost like it's burdened by its own origins and either won't or can't move beyond that and that kind of hampers it I feel like there were so many things in the horror film genre that have changed between the end of the original Scream series and then when this movie came out. Uh, Parts of it really do just feel like a straight-up throwback, and you're just kind of going, okay. Well, Not that that's terrible. Yeah, there's no real impetus to any of the activities going on. Uh, And it's a stretch to say that the ultimate end game character's motivation is really meaningful at least i mean it could have been meaningful i think maybe in the original draft it could it pro- it seemed like okay this is probably was a lot more meaningful than what it turned out to be and it, it just was a an odd experiment now i mean you backtrack again back to the original scream trilogy it was my first experience in learning in screenwriting 101 and learning the term retcon. It was the first time I'd ever seen that in action on something that I was wholeheartedly, vestedly interested in watching. Because you had the first movie was isolated. It was a, it was a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. And it was done. And it was the classic... Like like we talked about on Back to the Future, it was the classic, wow, that was really popular. We need to do a sequel. Come up with something. <laughs> and Kevin Williamson gamely came up with something for Scream 2 that 
took the characters from Scream 1 and where would they go from here and what would happen if there was a copycat and in this environment and well 1997 environment (laughs) and it was gamely done and then okay well that was successful we need a part three obviously okay well then let's do that and let's be meta about it but then spoilers for part three the entire story surrounding the motivations of the killers of part one is completely upended by the killer of part three who suddenly there's this retcon of no wait he's behind it all (laughs) well you here's what you thought was going on but we're too clever for you see yeah even even though he came up with it on the spot hence the definition of the word retcon meaning Mm -hmm. the retroactive continuity so this is this is we're trying to tell you this is what we meant all along but it's not we made it up as we went and it was just very interesting but they managed to do it in a way that said okay that's what all of this meant and it's over and let's just move on and it's done and suddenly to come back 10 years later and say well we've got a new idea and then to have all of the hands come in that say, well, let's bring back all the originals. And I have a feeling Kevin Williamson said, let's bring back the originals for about 10 minutes. Which would have been fine. And instead, somebody else said, no, no, no. David Arquette, Courtney Cox, and Nev Campbell, they need to be here and be the story. And no, they really didn't need to be. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, we could get into spoilers and, and well, let's just let's just do it. Let's just get into it here a little bit. I think this is one of those episodes where getting into some of the specifics probably would be helpful. Well, at least the, a little bit. The the ultra ultra meta killer thingy that went on in Scream Four is no more simple than the fact that Julia Roberts' niece <laughs> and Macaulay Culkin's younger brother end up being the killers. And it's Emma Roberts and uh, not Kieran Culkin, but the other Culkin uh, end up being the the killers. So you, it it is meta, meta, meta. But they never call it out. They they hint around it, thinking, okay, well at this point you might as well just go ahead and fully blown say it. And there's a couple of moments where Emma Roberts is uh, Nev Campbell's niece. So she's constantly saying, I'm living in the shadow of my really popular aunt. and Who's barely in the movie. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's just not, I don't know. I would not see how Sidney Prescott, the character Nev Campbell plays, I don't see how 10 years later she is this figure that, even though Emma Roberts' character is supposed to be crazy, I don't see how Sidney Prescott would be this person to latch on to. The whole setup is extremely tenuous. Buying her as a writer who would want to write about all of these horrible things that happened to her and then, oh, I'm just going to come back to town on the anniversary of all these horrible things that happened to me. Well, I get the fact that you don't want to be a victim and you've overcome that. Move to Hawaii. (laughs) You never have to come back to this town ever. You don't owe it anything uh, other than... Dewey and Gale, there isn't really apparently anybody in town for and your cousin uh, for you to go back and hang out with. Uh, Gale and Dewey, that's a whole nother little bit of a mess. 
not just because of what was actually going on in uh, their real life situation, everything when this movie was going on, but again, okay, Dewey, small town cop, uh, now chief of the police force. Oh, that's fine. Gail hasn't like found Gail, who is supposed to be this take charge, take no prisoners kind of character has what been sitting around for 10 years going, boy, I wish I could think up a new career. <laughs> yeah. And one that doesn't involve such horrendous plastic surgery. Uh, yes. Well, uh. <laughs> <laughs> those were some interesting lips. <laughs> uh, it was something. So what, uh, Without dwelling on it too much, because I don't think the movie is really worth being dwelled on too much, period. What would you say if they came to you and said, let's get a Scream 4 going, guys. It's one of our franchises, so what would what could you do? Would you follow any of the path that Kevin Williamson was leading us down? Or would you say, scrap the old people, let's start anew? Or would you say, let's reboot the thing? Honestly, after seeing the effort they turned in that just felt so muddled where they were trying to go, I think, in too many directions, I would just straight up reboot it. Keep the ghost face killer. Um, If you want, you can even start out or end up in Woodsboro. I don't care. That's fine. But we don't need the Sydney character anymore. Yeah, I don't even think you'd have to involve... The, I think the only two that you can involve, you, you could leave Sydney out of it completely and just involve Dewey and Gale yeah, in a and, very small level and not have it in Woodsboro. Go right. somewhere else and have some psychopath who is talking about doing a reboot or a remake because it's 2011. It's not that long ago. We were in a full swing of doing reboots and remakes. Yeah, and if they wanted to, because they got some, you know, of the younger, hotter actresses primarily into this thing that were of the moment back in 2011, okay, great. Well, if you're trying to reach out to the youth audience and everything like that, quit burdening yourself with everything to do with the structure that came before and with these actors that we've wrapped up their story. Yeah, don't don't hang yourself on the story of Sidney Prescott. Hang your hang your hat on the concept of the first movie. The concept of movies influence these kids. You know, what kind of influence do the movies have on these kids? That was a concept of the first movie. So, who cares about and normally it's it's the exact opposite of what we're always talking about because we're always talking about start with your character first. Well, in this case, we're ditching them. <laughs> well, ditch that completely because the character story is told. It's over. So, and God, I, I hate to always keep bringing it up every time we talk about, every time we do an episode, but it seems like this is a path that, God, I hope J.J. Abrams was watching because it's very similar. You got your three main people who... uh are are the the heart and soul of a of a franchise that was essentially wrapped up that's being revived with these three people coming back to mentor or do whatever with the younger people i sure as hell hope that jj abrams has had a little say in well we just want these guys to kind of appear their story is done not scream for it and yeah no, if you're, you're going to pass the torch we need mark hamill and harrison ford in the whole movie 
you're going to pass the torch, pass the torch. Pass it Move early. On. Yeah. <laughs> pass it during the opening ceremonies. Don't pass the torch during the closing ceremonies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, there wasn't there. Again, this is where it gets muddled. There just was never really a concerted effort to do that. And what I was saying before about feeling as if the movie got kind of bogged down was trying to play, I think, too close to some of what made the original Scream appealing, what you were just talking about with you know all the kids in the that movie being obsessed with movies and everything like that well now it's well it's it's the 21st century we we got to get into computer fame internet fame well that's great was, yeah. so have it be somewhere in Oregon <laughs> have them go have them go to Astoria Oregon where the goonies were and have a mashup where Mikey's now a killer or something i don't know but just <laughs> Don't go to Nowheresville. No- Whoa, Goonies 2 just got really dark. <laughs> oh, man. Go to Nowheresville, Bucktown, Iowa, something, and have some kid, you know, now that the whole thing is everyone can make their own movie because the technology is so ubiquitous. Fine. Have some nut job kids doing killings and recording it and uploading it to YouTube in Nowhereville. Because they're trying to do their own reboot of the original stab movies that yeah. existed, there you and go. suddenly you know the FBI's onto this or or something, make it more national, and they actually go to Dewey and ask him for advice because he's still around. So he comes in, and then maybe he divorced Gail like five years prior, and they call her in too, and we can have some sort of reunion, and then they just do some little investigate investigate bit and they're gone by the middle and then we're dealing with new characters and we're dealing with the new concepts of what is the the new media it's no longer watching a vhs of 80s horror movies fine so what do the kids now do and make the mystery that way and just comp- and it's not a complete clean reboot it's kind of like our ghostbusters 3 it's it's a reboot while still connecting to the original yeah, and I think that would definitely make for a much stronger film. And kind of like the original Scream and everything, don't worry about whether or not you're setting yourself up for potential sequels or anything like that. Just go out and make a solid movie. See how it plays, see how it connects with the audience, and then go from there. Yeah, and have your, you know, have the, 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 however many kids that are that are dressed up in ghost face and they're recording it and they're uploading it to YouTube and there could be a mystery of how many are involved and and are these for real? I mean, there could be a whole sequence of are these real deaths or not? I, I mean, it could just be is this staged or something along those lines and show and, and you could very easily get into the modern culture, you know, uh, sociological studies that Wes Craven so much loves by doing that, and uh, and ditch and maybe even ditch Wes Craven because the man's almost eighty years old, and you know everybody loves to have new ideas for as long as you can, but that man hit his peak thirty years ago mm. and <laughs> has never done anything else to <laughs> show what he can do. So, yeah, I mean that that would be a simplistic fix to a scream for if it was demanded to be brought back. Well, I was going to say, and and here we go with the normal big question: Do we need a scream four? Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, again, based on the premise of everything we always talk about, I think it always stems from the financial standpoint, and especially, I mean, even more so nowadays when we exist in a world of studios constantly saying, what franchises do we have to milk? True. So obviously Miramax or Dimension or whoever it is now, the Weinstein Company, whoever still owns this thing, I forget, is going to look and say, well, we have the Scream series. I mean, we have Quentin Tarantino as a is a entity on himself, so we're going to keep him happy. And we got Kevin Smith, and we're going to try and do stuff with him. And we got Robert Rodriguez, that's our guy, but one, our one and only real franchise, so to speak, that we can still milk is Scream. So they're obviously going to go back to it. It's just what's the best way to make a good film out of it and not just a retread like we got. Well, and if you wanted to get, take it in a little bit different direction, uh, if we're all about movies and movie genres and we've kind of milked the conventions of the horror genre or something like that, well, why don't we take something that's got some potential shared elements and could make it a little bit more interesting? What if you bumped in some film noir elements to it? Yeah, I would and I think definitely they definitely repackage it. Well, they always did film noir because it was always a murder mystery. Sure. Play that up. <laughs> yeah. Make it black and white. Why not? Yeah. Well, that just, you know, have have fun with kind of the CD setting and the characters Ooh, that idea. you're that you're not sure about and yeah, let's just really play that up. Don't it doesn't always just have to be make it a make it a prequel. Make it make it like this little known thing that happened in the fifties or sixties and make it black and white. And Billy and Stu actually put on this particular costume because they found some old news clippings on the internet about this costume was worn by a random killer that no one really knew about in like the forties or fifties and he he filmed his kills or something. I don't know. It's the town's biggest, deepest, darkest secret. And so they didn't originate this costume of the ghost face killer. It it was from long ago. It was from a Vincent Van Gogh fan. <laughs> I was restoring this old painting and there I noticed that there was something underneath. Look! Scream! <laughs> Uh, so what else would you have to add to Scream 4? Uh, that much. We, All right. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, do would you want to get into any... Th- see, I think this is where you get into any kind of potential problems with even going beyond like a fourth movie and everything, which is part of why I think it's kind of strange that they bothered to do another one. You probably don't want to get another one burdened down with another one of these big family stories like we got with Sydney. Okay, well, we did that, and we wrapped it up, and we're good. Do you really want to go so far as to just try to retread, recreate that as well as kind of supposed to be the impetus for doing more sequels? Or, Well, there's no way that they were going to do any more sequels I, well, I shouldn't say no way because <laughs> I just can't imagine it because the way it ended, so obviously there was an ending in mind and someone said, no, 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 we cannot have Nev Campbell or David Arquette or Courtney Cox. None of them can die. They are bulletproof in this hospital that has no one in it. So everyone else can get 
shot in the shoulder, shot in the gut, dead instantly. Nev yeah, there's Campbell a pretty high body twice. count, that's for sure. <laughs> Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, they can get shot once, twice. They keep coming back. They're the anti-Jason. So there was obviously an ending in mind where Emma Roberts' character was going to went, was going to kill everybody and Dewey was going to be left alive as a sheriff thinking he she was the victim and she was going to get famous and that's how it was going to end it was going to be a good old f you to the audience kind of a mind bender twister and that would have been so much better so original terminator salvation ending <laughs> that never <laughs> happened oh yeah <laughs> what <laughs> but it, it, it they chickened out and so Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette all live. Emma Roberts is dead, and nothing is really solved or comes of it, and there's no stakes left, and it just is a... I can hear Homer Simpson watching the end of the movie just going, Boring! (laughs) (laughs) I can can hear Brian Regan. Sidney Prescott went back to Woodsboro. One thing led to another, and her cousin is dead in a hospital. Here we go. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You could very easily do that. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, Scream is done. What what else uh, are those those part four movies? I mean, while we're at it, are there quick fixes that could be done to make a Lethal Weapon 4 better? I mean, we've already discussed Indiana Jones. We're not going back over that, but Lethal Weapon 4, Chris Rock's brought in. It, it's Let's bring the old gang back together. Now, that was not an obvious trilogy. There no. wasn't really a main... There was there was a through line, sort of, with Riggs and his wife getting killed, and Part 2 dealt with meeting the killer, and that was it. But In Part 3, he moves on with his life, officially. Yeah, and you're just kind of like, well, the... You're really just doing a part four just to check in with the Riggs and Murtaugh families to see what they're doing. And, oh, there are more hijinks ensue where it's the same as before. And they're trying to make it very episodic and not a saga. Would there be a reason to either, A, redo Lethal Weapon 4, or B, if they say, we got Mel Gibson and Danny Glover to come back now, would it be worth it? I mean, uh, could there now be... I don't. <laughs> given some of what's happened to Mel Gibson, I I don't know if you'd be able to pull in an audience like that. I guess we'll see how Expendables three goes down. But well, okay, let's backtrack that then. Make it the different question, just like we said with Scream. All of these ideas are always brought by financial reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference being Warner Brothers owns Lethal Weapon, and Warner Brothers obviously has their franchise cornered with DC Comics and Harry Potter and The Hobbit. So would they would some executive go in and say, you know what we need to do? We need to bring those guys back from Lethal Weapon. Would your first response say, given the caveat, okay, somebody's demanding your paycheck is is counting on creating a new Lethal Weapon movie? Would your instinct go Let's see what Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are up to. Or would your instincts say, you know, it's been twenty over 25 years. How about a complete reboot? I think complete reboot would probably work a little bit better. And, again, keep it short. If they want to pop in for some reason, the original actors, great. 
but yeah, it doesn't need to center around them. And honestly, I don't know if you could pull that series off if you just tried to pass the torch to a totally different group of people. Then it would just be like, okay, well, here's a really violent cop movie out in L.A., and we're finished. Yeah, and just as you say that, I think I think maybe a complete remake, reboot might work because you could actually delve a little bit further in to the Riggs character. I mean, they dealt with his characterization in the first movie, but I wonder how much you could go into his wife being murdered, he's on the edge. You know, a lot of things that were skimmed on. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wonder if you could even go deeper into that in a remake scenario, or if the first movie was good enough, is there a point to doing it? I don't... As, we well, as long as you bring in Jake Busey in the first right. Gary, you'll be good. All right. I think that'd be fantastic. <laughs> That's right, Dad. <laughs> Take it over. We're going to fight in the yard now. <laughs> Busey versus Busey. That's right. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you got to fight Mo Gibson. I'm going to take on Kellen Lutz in the front yard. All right. <laughs> or whoever the actor is. Uh, I'm taking on James McAvoy in the front yard. Let's go. Rumble in the jungle. I yeah, uh, I, I actually the more we're kind of talking about this, the more I'm realizing, boy, that is definitely a series that is rife for some kind of a attempted reboot, especially with all the buzz here recently about the Mad Max reboot trailer coming out and everything. You got to think, well, I guarantee you somebody's looking back through Gibson's catalog and going, well, what else can we get into here? Yeah, see, I have the exact opposite reaction as we're talking about it more and more. This would be one of those few instances in our little run of this podcast where I would say almost unequivocally, sorry, Mr. Executive, I think Lethal Weapon just needs to be left alone. I think I'd it is say a it would necessarily be a good idea. I just said that I could totally see somebody making a play to reboot it at around this time in the next two years. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's no reason why they won't simply because of how many times we watched every one of them flop but we've watched it's it's a new movie called total recall it's a new movie called robocop and they're just <laughs> it's predators and they just oh yeah yeah and yeah, none they of them have, have not had anything. a pantheon of success <laughs> i mean every one of those i think all just kind of tanked and were early year releases which are dumping grounds so either make them fun or stop trying to make this crystalline blue futuristic dark gritty i think it was just proved this last weekend with guardians of the galaxy enough with the dark and gritty super hyper real (laughs) how about what we like to use in the industry fun how about entertainment (laughs) excitement it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't always have to be a Baroque painting. Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger was color and on Mars and goofy and outlandish and gross. And from what I hear, the Total Recall with Colin Farrell and Jessica Biel was dark gunmetal blue filtered, no Mars. Everything's on the ground, futuristic computer flying cars that we've seen a million times, like Minority Report foolishness and and it it showed because it went nowhere (laughs) 
But that's enough of that. I think you would say there's a good remake in Lethal Weapon, and I, I would say on the opposite end, I would probably to the detriment of my bank account for the short term, but in the long term legacy of, of hopefully having some taste, I would probably say, uh, no, I just couldn't do a lethal weapon. I think it's a complete product of its time and of its people who did it. It is very much definitely of its time. Yeah. Agreed. I, I mean, Mad Max is a general concept I think you could do, but it's almost like lethal weapon. It wasn't written for Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, but they just inhabited it so perfectly that it would be really hard to think of anybody else doing Riggs and Murtaugh. They used to say that about Bond, and we've gone through a few of them. Yeah, but Gotta Bond... Be Sean Connery. Yeah, but Bond is such a concept as well. I mean, I think there's two completely different types of movies at their bare bones. There's the concept movie, and there's the character-driven movie. And I think the character-driven movies are harder to redo just because if they're done originally successfully, you it's so difficult to divorce yourself from Mel Gibson as Riggs. Just like, can somebody else play John McClane in a remake of the original Die Hard? Now, again, we discussed <laughs> well, the Well, foolish... they were kind of trying, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we discussed the foolishness, but, we're you know, talking about the original, Bruce Willis was John McClane in the first movie. I... You, you would have nothing but a parody, which he's done by himself. But, I mean, if you just said, let's do a reboot, Nakatomi Plaza, Hans Gruber, yada, yada, you just, Bruce Willis was that guy of that time, of that moment, of that movie. Well, again, I think with any of these, if you're going to if you're gonna relaunch it, make it your own thing. Don't sit there winking at the audience and go, hey, remember this? Or callback lines or, you know, just switch the gender of the characters or little tricks that we see all the time. Make it its own thing. Which is what I think brings us back full circle to to the Scream idea. Yeah. Is we don't need Nev Campbell. <laughs> we, we, don't need, we don't need these people. But if you want to, you can... Either A, pretend like Scream, Drew Barrymore era didn't exist and just do it new with the same concept except now it's watching movies on the internet and what does that do to kids? Or, yeah, tie it in with Dewey showing up. Yeah, I just, just don't be afraid, uh, again, kind of what you mentioned, don't be afraid to take some risks. That That ending that they had set themselves up for honestly would have made just the whole movie a lot better for me it just was a big old pile of meh (laughs) (laughs) at least you would have had like an attempted something different if they'd stuck with that original ending and they just didn't go with what they should have followed their instincts on they they hit it a little bit with we record everything on the internet and and all of that and yet in the movie we don't see anything we don't see any YouTube videos of any kills. We, no, we, it's that, that felt like an eleventh hour decision. They're like, oh, we got to give a motivation for these people. What should it be? And, and it just wasn't there. <laughs> and and then all we we hear the Culkin brother come in at the end and say oh yeah i videotaped all of this it looks great okay that's great we didn't see any of this so um 
we don't know what you're talking about and it doesn't affect us. <laughs> there has been no setup for what you just said. <laughs> and we're at the climax, so that's not good. Yeah. So we could meander for another hour on part fours and where they do or do not fit in, but I, I think focusing on Scream and well, to the lesser extent of Lethal Weapon and whatever else, but I think it's a good mode of... It's a good exercise in the business of Hollywood versus the creativity of Hollywood and ultimately, I mean, hell, that's what our podcast is about. But yeah, <laughs> in this one specifically... It's 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 taking a completed story and trying to revive it. I mean, that's what we talked about in, in Episode 7, Star Wars. And it's, you know, there's probably some other ones we talked about, but a lot of the other things we talked about were dangling threads. Like Ghostbusters was kind of like a dangling thread of... Well, they've been talking about doing more, and you can do more, but it just never seems like we trust them enough to make anything decent. And Well, it'll be interesting if this most recent discussion about making an all-female Ghostbusters actually happens. Yeah, that would be very intriguing, especially with Paul Feig involved, the director and creator of Bridesmaids, because suddenly you could have... I think one article put it, is is Ghostbusters reboot now a backdoor Bridesmaids sequel where they're just going to get those four women to show up in the movie? <laughs> and instead of being in Bridesmaids, now Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph and uh, Rose Byrne and Melissa McCarthy are going to be Ghostbusters for some reason. This could be interesting or it could be a complete and utter disaster. <laughs> but either way, it would be interesting to watch. There seems to be sudden, well... There seems to be a push here in the last few months. This is the, what, second or third iteration of this we've heard since the beginning of the year? Yeah. I think it brought back in the consciousness because of Harold Ramis. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think it just stems from where we are in a movie world with uh, really the lead right now is Marvel where everything they touch is gold, and Disney, and to a lesser extent, 20th Century Fox and Sony have these properties where it's just, we have an endless stream of characters, and everything we seem to put on screen is gold, so let's just keep mining these characters and putting them up there, and now everyone's trying to follow suit. And the different studios, you can see, they know where the money is. The money is in these existing properties, not in the new stuff. And if it's new stuff, it has to come from an existing brand. So Guardians of the Galaxy is popular because it's a Marvel brand. So Sony is saying we are going to turn every corner over of the Spider-Man universe and try and make a franchise out of it more than just Spider-Man movies. And Fox has got X-Men and Fantastic Four. Warner Brothers has DC and Harry Potter. So you've got all of these different studios trying to see, well, what do we have in here? And with Sony struggling so much with Spider-Man, well, they got Ghostbusters in their back pocket. So I think that's why the talk is heating up because, well, we got to keep churning out our different franchises. That's the business model now. Yeah, it's interesting that a lot of, I think you could argue the, not entirely, but a lot of the 
original ideas, so to speak, are finding their way onto the screen. It's just onto, you know, TV or getting streamed through Netflix or some service like that. True. But they're still the big, huge uh, franchise blockbusters that pull in oh, yeah. a billion dollars. And they are right now in existing properties and franchises. So that's all that these folks are going to hang their hats on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that we need another Scream movie. <laughs> <laughs> or at least dare to be different if you do. Yeah, and I think that's what it boils down to is you. it's just very stripped down to its basic level. If you have a trilogy which is told as a trilogy and not a series of movies that just happened to number three, then that means you're at the basic story structure that no one's found a way around yet, which is a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a fourth movie <laughs> inherently is going against that model. I mean, you have Lord of the Rings is uh, another one I never saw him. I never really cared for him. I know you did. But you've well, got... the first the first three, yes, and then I checked out when these Hobbit movies came along. Exactly, that's the point. Is that you have the first three movies, which apparently told a beginning, a middle, and an end, and now let's go back and see what else we can tell. <laughs> so... and I, I, I like the Hobbit book, fine. I think I would have been more intrigued if they had just left it with the original plan of just doing two movies. When they stretched it out to three, knowing kind of the structure of that story and everything i just went especially with the first one oh gosh i don't want to go watch that because we're never leaving the shire well is are the same people involved i shouldn't say i mean i know the same people are involved mm -hmm. let me backtrack also i apologize to anyone listening from warner brothers yes you have dc and you have harry potter and you obviously have lord of the rings but Outside of the behind the scenes, I'm saying the characters are they the are there same characters, same actors from the original trilogy that are now in these Hobbit movies? Well, like Ian McKellen is still playing Gandalf. Um, Legolas has somehow gotten shoehorned into this, which I don't believe he's in the book. Then that tells me that's all you have to say. That yeah. I already have an answer to it, and that is, it sounds like it would have been better off if they had said, "We told the." Frodo walks for three movies to throw a ring in a mountain and now we're going to tell a different story that just so happens to be in the same universe. No, this is the story of how Bilbo got the ring in the first place. Okay, so it just seems like it's just another endless stretching out of a story that was already told succinctly. Well, but with that original series at least you had three books that they were based off of this. You're basing three movies off of one book and it's not that long of a book. Yeah. So that, it's just, again, the fourth one does <laughs> never really leads to anything good. I mean, you could really expand it out, too. Look at, I mean, Spider-Man had three movies in the Sam Raimi, and part three was a bomb, and they were going to make a part four with Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire, but then it just fell apart, and they ended up rebooting themselves at Sony, but in order to keep the rights. But you look at Amazing Spider-Man and the Andrew Garfield, which has now got two movies, and it's been the law of diminishing returns. They've made money, but by no means have they been the juggernaut that Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, or Sam Raimi era was. They are 
way lagging behind in the whole superheroes on the big screen world. And there's a concern now that Sony is just going to keep spreading thin trying to find random characters that exist solely in the Spider-Man Marvel universe and make solo movies out of them just to keep the rights. And that just seems like the wrong way to go. <laughs> Long term, uh, yes. So it's you've got not, not going to be sustainable. But you've got a fourth movie there, Amazing Spider-Man 2012, and it was met with a whole lot of and it was a remake. It was a reboot. So, so I guess the law of the fourth movie is always there's going to be something odd happening with your fourth movie, no matter what you're doing. I mean, what was the fourth Bond movie? Was that Th- no? It wasn't Thunderball, was it? Oh, let me see. So you would have had Doctor No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Goldfinger, Thunderball, and yeah, I guess. So I've seen Thunderball recently. And it was a boring as hell movie. <laughs> it was nothing happening. And it seems like, there you go, there's a fourth movie in a series that just is a... So, yeah, Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, I think might be the best example of a fourth movie. <laughs> God, even go back to horror, the Halloween series. You had the first one, and then the second one was, oh, God, we had a first movie successful. Create a story. And the third one was had nothing to do with it. And, <laughs> and then the fourth one was bring back the original, which we already milked and finished in the first two. We don't have a story left, but do it anyways. So there you go, a fourth movie, which was completely unnecessary and dragged out a story that didn't need to be told anymore. So there you go, folks. There's your lesson. If you're going to make a trilogy of movies, leave it at that because the law of threes applies to storytelling with a beginning, middle, and end. And unless you make uh, part 2A and part 2B, you're just not going to work with a fourth movie most of the time. Agreed. <laughs> uh, that was one-sided. <laughs> <laughs> All those in favor of making more fourth movie entries just for the sake of it, raise your hands and go. Oh, thank goodness we're going to have a Phantom Menace. Oh, wait, we already talked about Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right, let's get out of here. That was uh, a fourth movie series of crazy, long, dragged out. um, Go see Scream 4. Tell us what you think. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go watch the quest for peace. See ya. Okay, bye. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. God, why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. Stop! Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Okay, but... Uh-huh. Tell me, what's your favorite scary movie? I don't know. Shaun of the Dead. I'm going to cut you up just like in that movie. Wait, Shaun of the Dead? What's wrong with Shaun of the Dead? It's not even that scary. It's more of a comedy. Well, it was scary to me. Wait, what did you say about cutting? Never mind about that. Okay, why don't you ask me my favorite? <laughs> okay.
The Mothman prophecies. You're gonna die, just like... What? The Mothman prophecies? The Richard Gere movie? Who even says that is their first guess? Well, I guess I just don't know what really makes a movie scary. Obviously. This isn't even why I called. But I can't let this go. The Mothman prophecies is not...